Lord, thank you so much for this morning. God, what a beautiful day it is and what a beautiful name. God, your name is Jesus. We come to glorify you and exalt you and to seek your name today, God, to seek you out, Lord. Lord, speak to us, God. Move upon our hearts. Change us today, God. May the word of God, through the spirit of God, touch the people of God and bring your life, your name into our, 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 our living, God. So may we not just name you in name, but live it, our life out in your name, God. So we come before you. We ask for your Holy Spirit to touch. We ask for your Spirit's anointing to speak to us now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Virus shuts down chocolate factory in Australia. Those chocolate lovers may go, No! That's what happened at the end of June this year. Now, it wasn't this biological virus, but a computer virus called the Noctetia. This malware wreaked havoc with the company, with company computers actually all over the world, in Poland, France, Italy, India, Germany, the UK, Brazil, and the US, and it all spread out in like about a day. This virus found its way to Australia to the Cadbury Chocolate Factory and totally shut down its operations. Hackers held frozen their computers and ransomed that their computers for 300 bitcoins, which also this same virus crippled even banks, governments, and even ports. How did this all happen? Where was ground zero? Well, ground zero, the beginning of all this spread of virus was traced to the country of Ukraine, actually. That's where this virus was downloaded inside this tax accounting program. And also they said it was in a local news site too. Crazy. So from the Ukraine, now that small country, it spread out into the whole world. Well, I was thinking about that. In the same way, sin can spread so easily that it affects our whole life. So that's why it's so important that we deal with even little sin, even the one sin. It's so important. As we continue our study through the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul deals with sin in the Corinthian church. And like leaven in a batch of dough, this sin spreads, spreads out into the whole lump, takes over. And so it's important to clean out the leaven. And that's the title of our message this morning. Clean out the leaven. Clean out the leaven. We're going to be studying second, uh, 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The whole chapter from verse 1 through 13 this morning. We finished chapter 4. We're crossing over now into the next one. And this is our outline. Number 1, recognize. Number 2, respond. Number 3, reason. And number 4, restrain. Bunch of R's here this morning, just like Rick. So anyway, clean out the leaven, our title. Let's begin with number one, recognize, recognize. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It says here, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. We'll, we'll stop right there. Now we begin here. Paul is writing, and he says here, first of all, it is actually reported. Now the word actually means like widely or widespread or everywhere. In other words, 
It is common knowledge. Everyone knows about it. It's not a secret there. And then he says, well, that, what's that? That among you, that's within the church now, is sexual immorality. Now, sexual immorality is the Greek word pornea, where we get our English word pornography. In the Bible, it speaks of any kind of immoral, sinful sexual activity. Many times it's translated as fornication. You probably have read or heard that word before. Now, last week, we ended in chapter 4 with Paul lovingly warning now, right, the Corinthian believers as their spiritual father. Paul said, I'm, I'm your spiritual father. I brought you to the Lord. And he's lovingly warning them and telling them to turn from their sin or you face the discipline of God. Remember, we learned that Paul sent this letter of 1 Corinthians ahead of his coming. His plan was to come before come to them, but first was to send the, the letter. So in this letter, he's giving the opportunity for the Corinthian believers in this church to repent of their sins. Remember, it ended like, hey, shall I come to you with a rod, like with discipline? Or am I going to arrive there with the spirit of love and gentleness there? So Paul presented that, that they would deal with the sin in the church. And as I mentioned, from here on, we're going to see a whole list of sins. We're going to see a whole lot of things that have been going on in the church that wasn't right before the Lord. And the first one on the list is what we see here in this chapter, sexual immorality. So what's going on here? What's going on? Well, first of all, Paul says here in verse 1, it's a thing that is not even named among the Gentiles. It's, it, it's something that even the Gentiles will say, hey, that's going too far. And actually what's going on, there was a Roman law against it. It was just something they wouldn't even think is right. And what is that? It says, that is, a man has or is sleeping with his father's wife. Now, that term father's wife means this is not his biological mother. That's not what's going on. But what this is, is it's the stepmother. Something happened, maybe the mother passed away, divorced, I don't know. But then the father hooked up with this other lady. And now the son, this man, is sleeping with the stepmother. The man is committing a form of incest. He is having sexual relations with his stepmother. Those of you who have been with us on Wednesday night when we were studying through Leviticus 18, remember God had a whole slew of things about incest and went into detail. You shouldn't sleep with this or uncover the nakedness and da-da-da and all that. Well, in verse eight, uh, chapter 18, verse 8 of Leviticus, the Lord says, The nakedness of your father's wife, Again, the stepmother, you shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. It's, it's their relationship. It's their marriage. It's not you to sin in that way. So having sex with the stepmother is incest, and it's wrong. It's wrong. Now understand this. It's, it's not like this was some one-time affair. It's not like two people, you know, got drunk at the family reunion and woke up in the shame. No, if you look here in verse 1 again, it says has. That word in original language speaks of this continuation going on. It's a continual relationship, continue going on. In other words, you know what? They're living together now. They're actually living together. 
And another thing we see here is since this woman, and we'll see in this chapter, is not really dealt with as part of the fellowship that the man who is dealt with, he's in the fellowship, the man now hooking up with this lady is unequally yoked. So you see with incest, with living together, with being unequally yoked here, one commentator said, the whole thing smells from top to bottom. And here's the thing. The man is still coming to church. The man is still worshiping the Lord. The man is still taking communion and acting like it's all right. I'm, I, it's okay. And like doing nothing or even feeling like there's anything wrong. So Paul goes on and he says in verse 2, And you are puffed up. And have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. Now, we've seen that several times, the word puffed up. Hey, you guys, you believers, you're puffed up. What? You're literally full of air. You're full of pride, right? You guys are full of pride. Because they're sitting there. They've convinced themselves that this is okay. It, it can be tolerated. It can be allowed. Remember how the Corinthian believers are already so prideful in their philosophies and their wi wisdom, right? They know better, right? They, they, they can judge people. They can evaluate. We know who's the best speakers and, and who's the best teachers, right? We've been studying all that and all of their pride. And on top of that, in chapter 3, Paul confronted them about their carnality. You guys are carnal. You're just being worldly. You're being fleshly in that way. And it could be maybe they're caught up in so much, they're caught up in this human wisdom, this worldliness, philosophy, that they think they're okay. Maybe they don't even notice it or even attune to it because they're so focused in puffing up their pride and lifting themselves up in that way. But here, the sin is leaked in. And maybe in all of that, they've lessened the truths of God as they mix human wisdom. Well, Paul says, this shouldn't have been here. This shouldn't have been allowed to go on. He says, you should have mourned here in verse 2. Mourn means grieve. You know, this Greek word is the same word used for mourning the dead. They should have been grieved over it so much so that this man should have been removed from among you. So this pride kept believers from mourning over this man's serious sin. John MacArthur said this, when we cease to be shocked by sin, we lose a strong defense against it. And that's so true. Yeah? We allow it, and then we get immune to it. It's okay. So these guys aren't shocked anymore. Outside the, the Roman world, Gentile world, they would be shocked, but they're like, eh. Yeah, allowing it, tolerating it here. Remember in Revelation chapter 2, the church of Thyatira, they were like this. They were a great church. Jesus commended them. Oh, your service, you know. You serve the Lord so great. Your faith, you know, the love that you guys have, the patience. But then in verse 20 of Revelation 2, he told the church of Thyatira, nevertheless, I have this against you. He said, you're allowing this false prophetess, Jezebel. Now, that should have been a clue right away, someone named Jezebel, right? <laughs> you know, we know from the Old Testament. Jesus went on to, so you allow her to teach. And verse 20 says, to seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality. 
Same thing here. Paul goes on here in verse 3. For I indeed as absent in the body but present in spirit have already judged as though I were present. Judge him who has so done this deed. Paul's saying in verse 3, look, even, even though I'm not there in person, I'm absent in body, right? I'm with you guys in spirit. I mean, remember, they're their spiritual father. These are his spiritual kids. He brought them to the Lord. He planted this church. But I'm there in, in the spirit. And he's saying, you know, without even being there, I already judged the wrong he had done. I, I, I can say this is wrong. This has to be dealt with. I don't even have to be there. I don't need to be there to recognize this is wrong and it's something to be dealt with. You guys, you're letting it go. You're not dealing with the situation. Every week, read about this guy. At the prayer meeting, a man would pray, Lord, clear out the cobwebs. And what he spoke about is the things that shouldn't be there in his life. Lord, clean out the cobwebs, those things in my life, the cobwebs. Every week, over and over, week by week, same prayer. Lord, clean out the cobwebs. Lord, clean out the cobwebs. Till finally, one night, the man who always sat next to him interrupted him and said, Lord, just kill the spider already. I like that. Take care of it, right? Do something about it. Paul's like, I don't even need to be there. I've already judged. This is wrong. You need to take care of this. So Paul's saying, don't let your pride tolerate this sin, but recognize the serious wrong so to be moved to take action. And that's really his point here. Don't let this pride just tolerate the sin, but recognize the seriousness of this sin so it would lead you to take action. Recognize. Recognize what's going on here. You know, um, I was thinking about how when it starts to get dark, you know, at dusk, and it's when there's clouds in the sky, and it's hard to see the, the horizon, you know, as the light starts to dim. And, and I always have a hard time sitting in the water, waiting for a wave to come. At that, you know, time you're surfing, and I start thinking about sharks at dusk. No, but, but I'm looking out for that last wave, yeah, and you look out in the horizon, and sometimes it's even hard to see that swell come in, and you want to take that last wave before you're totally out of the light, and you get eaten by a shark but as you're looking out right and and all of a sudden as as it gets dim the the horizon disappears the the line of the horizon starts to blur with the clouds and the color of the water and the color of the the clouds and the lines are blurred between the ocean and the sky well i'll tell you that's what happens when you allow sin to stay in your life the issue of it being wrong, the lines start to get blurred. You don't know right from wrong, or is it really right? You kind of accept it. You tolerate it. Maybe back of mind, you kind of know, hey, uh, there's a shark in the water, but hey, hey uh, you know, you, it kind of blurs the lines over there of right and wrong. And you know what? It doesn't, as MacArthur say, shock you anymore. Yeah? It doesn't like, like hit you like before and convict you, and you, you feel bad about it. Yeah? When you allow that sin to stay and all of a sudden, ah, it's okay. Is that you this morning? Have you become numb to something that once was so bad, so wrong, but now, eh, it's okay. Now understand, this man, it, it wasn't like he was struggling and sin. He comes to church, pray for me, brother. No, he was blatant. He was okay with it. He, he was like, just coming like, yeah, huh, no problem. Yeah, no problem. Is that you now? 
Have you drifted so far? Has, has the lines been gotten blurred and your conscience seared so much that it, it's cool, I'm okay, yeah? And in your pride, you think it's okay. In your pride, you think, ah, oh, it's all right. God loves me. He'll forgive me. This was a church. Paul saying, hey, don't, don't let that pride tolerate sin, but recognize it's serious wrong and be moved to take action. Well, let's go to number two now in our outline. Respond. Respond. Number one is recognize. Recognize. And now number two, respond. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, Paul here saying, hey, look, recognize it, right? This is serious. And now he's saying, hey, respond. Respond here with church discipline. That's what he's talking about here. Saying, gather together, you guys, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you're coming, representing God. God is in this. And, you know, I'm going to be there in spirit, too. I'm not there in body. I'm absent body. But I'm going to be in this, too. So gather together. We're going to administer some church discipline, which this is what God wants. At the end of verse 4, he says, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the power speaks of the authority. So when you gather together to deal with this sin, you're coming in the authority of God to be able to take action. Paul's saying God will be with you in taking this action. Now, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20, you can read that later, but he gave the steps for church Discipline, And that's someone who is in a habitual, blatant sin. So the first step, step number one, is you go talk to the person privately. One-on-one, -on -one, you can bring it up, no one else knows, you know, you, you talk about that. Well, if that person does not repent and respond, then Jesus has you go say, well, you go to step number two. And what is that? To talk to the person with one or two others, two or three witnesses, he said. Yeah, yourself and one other person too or two other people and you go and talk to them in that way. It's no longer it's private. A couple other people know. So you try and talk to them so they would repent and stop their sin and doing this to themselves. Well, if they still don't repent, if they don't listen to you, you go to step three. And what is that? You take it before the church. You take it to the church. You take it to the leaders. You, you, you take it to the church and, and you put them front with them in front of the church and now it becomes public knowledge. Now, everyone knows about it. And again, it's all, all with the heart of trying to get them to turn. But if they still don't repent, step number four is disfellowship. Excommunicate them. You take that step that they are not allowed in the church anymore. Now, that's important because, one, it protects the people in the church. And we're going to be talking about that in the next section because, their unrepentedness, their sin can, as we've been talking about in, at our introduction, it can come into the church. But it's also so that you hope the person will repent because of this serious discipline. Now, you understand this is a very hard thing to do. But that's why Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to be there because whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, he said in in the next verse, and he said, look, 
Whatever you decide on, God's going to be in that as you're dealing with sin, because sin is wrong. And, and Jesus finished it all up in Matthew 18, 20. He says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. What's he saying? I will be there in the midst of your decision. In this disciplined decision, if you have to go all the way to step four and remove them from the church, I will be in that, in the midst of them. Two or three gathered, that's two or three counseled together, leadership to make this decision. Take note, you know, I'm sure you guys heard this in prayer meetings, right? Well, Lord, you know, you promised where two or three are gathered together, you're going to be here. And, and that's all well and good and sweet, but understand in context and what Jesus was saying was he wasn't talking about a prayer meeting. He was talking about church discipline and kicking someone out of the church. Besides that, isn't Jesus omnipresent? <laughs> He's everywhere anyway, right? He's not limited by two or three people, right? You know, if you're doing devotions alone, oh, no, I wish Jesus was with me. But, but you know, this says only two or three. Come here, come here, you know, wife, come, because so Jesus can be. No, it, it doesn't make sense, right? Jesus is always there for us. So, so you understand, here, Paul's saying, hey, the authority of Jesus will be with you. I'll even be with you. I'm going to be with you in this church discipline that you need to respond and do. Okay, so after step one, after step two, and three, if they do not repent, then if you take a look at verse uh, five, then you do verse five. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That's step four there. Paul says deliver. Deliver means to hand over this person over to Satan. What does that mean? Does he lose his salvation? No. Remember, we're talking about a believer in the church. No. The, you know what it means? It means you're putting them outside the church. Yeah. You're putting them into Satan's realm. Yeah. Outside of, 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 of the, the protection of the church, of the support of the church, of the, of the accountability of the church, you're putting them out into Satan's realm realm first john 5 19 says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one or the control of the wicked one so you're putting them out of the church into satan's realm so satan can deal with him and what for well he says for the destruction of the flesh that's to destroy those fleshly tendencies those sinful tendencies that's to get rid of it get it out of their life that they would not yield themselves to unrighteousness but became a become a slave of righteousness so you're allowing satan to buffet him so through the suffering the pain the consequences that that would would kill the flesh and that desire even some believe that paul is talking that oh perhaps it could mean even to death could be but i look at it more as the suffering and pain to destroy the the, the effect and how strong the flesh is then he says at the end that his spirit in verse five that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. The idea here is that this action may bring restoration in the re his relationship with the Lord. That when he finally stands before God, 
He won't have any regrets. He'll be okay. He'll have done the right thing in repentance. Paul, so Paul's like, hand him over to Satan so to save him from himself, basically, so to restore him back to God. And remember, that's the goal, is restoration. That's the goal, is redemption. That's what it is. Barton, in his commentary, said its purpose should be redemptive and restorative, not vengeful or vindictive. I like that. There's a difference there. All right, what's Paul saying in this, these set of verses? He's saying, with the view of repentance and restoration in mind, don't hold back from taking that last step of discipline, even if it comes to that. With the view of a repentance and restoration, don't hold back from taking that last step of discipline. Respond here. I'm, we're going to be in it. I'm going to be in it. The Lord's going to be in it. We've got to take care of this sin. I read about a father who complained about the amount of time his family was spending in front of the television. The kids watched cartoons, neglected their schoolwork. His wife watched TV sitcoms all the time instead of doing any housework. He finally put his foot down, and he gathered a family, family meeting, and he told the family, that's it. Let me tell you, I'm going to pull the plug on the TV as soon as football season is over. Yes, sometimes we're not good yeah, at administrating discipline. Sometimes we go too far. It's vindictive. Yeah. It's, it's vengeful. Sometimes uh, we don't do it at all. And sometimes we just delay it. Maybe it's this. No. Oh. Whether it's our kids or, or others, it's important to keep the purpose in mind, right? Repentance and restoration, that's the goal. It's reaching out in love. Yeah. It's like First Thessalonians. Paul said in the same way, admonishing it as our brother. Yeah. That, that we want to win them back in this because they're seriously in sin and we want to win them back, bring them back because we love them. With the view of repentance and restoration, don't hold back from taking that last step of discipline. Well, let's go to number three now in our outline. Reason. This is the reason. Seen in, in here, number one, recognize. Number two, respond. And number three, reason. Reason. First Corinthians chapter five, verse six now. Your glorying is not good. Do you, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So here's the reason. This is the reason Paul is being so serious about this sin. I mean, not only is it bad, I mean, but it's bad for the church. But he begins by saying, your glorying is not good. In other words, you're thinking, it's okay, I got it handled, the church is great. Allowing this sin to fester and grow. That, that's not good, he's saying. He said, do you not know? Don't you know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Leaven spreads into the whole batch, he's saying. Don't allow even a little sin to stay because it's like leaven and spreads out through the whole batch of dough. We know what leaven is, right? It's that yeast that you put into the dough so that it would rise. Okay, so that it would rise. You take just a little and it gets into the dough, it permeates and it spreads through the whole loaf. Well, think about it. That's what sin does, right? 
that's what sin does. It starts small, it mixes in, and then spreads out. It ferments like yeast. It corrupts and affects your life. And so Paul's saying, don't you know, that's what one guy, one man in your church, it spreads out into the body of the church like cancer. So he says in verse 7, Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. So he says in verse 7, Therefore, since a little bit of leaven can affect the whole lump of dough, the whole batch, right? He says, purge out that old leaven. Get rid of the old sins, he's saying. So that, you know what, you can be a new lump, free of the old sins, which is what you truly are, unleavened. No more that sin. In other words, we're new creations now in Jesus. We're, we've been freed from the bondage of our sinful flesh. We've been freed from having to do that. We can make a choice and say no now. In Romans 6.22 it says, But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and to the end everlasting life. Saying we've been set free, Paul says in Romans 6. Paul's saying here, hey, you're like unleavened bread now, free from that old leaven. So, so purge out that old sin. Purge out sin in this church here. Purge out the old leaven of old sins and be who you truly are now and live, I would say, the unleavened life. Yeah. And then Paul adds this to verse 7 at the end. He says, indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Now, at first read, you know, every year I read this and go, oh, yeah, okay. But, yeah, yeah you know, we kind of go on. But at first read, well, what is this? What's he saying here? How does this connect? Now, try and follow me here. Try and follow me here. What Paul is doing, he's taking us back to Exodus chapter 12. When the Passover lamb was sacrificed, its blood was put on the doorpost, and the death angel would pass over the Jews, right? And the blood of the lamb made atonement for them. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a last plague. It's when the death angel came, killed the firstborn, right? It was right when how God had released Israel, freed them from the bondage of Egypt. So he's taking us back to that time. So, so listen here. So, so he's taking us back in that time, the Passover lamb, the blood. Now understand, he's talking about leaven. So when they were to leave, remember, they were to leave with what? Unleavened bread. You know what that means? They were not to make any bread for the road with that yeast in it. They were not even permitted to bring any leaven with them. None of the old leaven, no starter yeast, no little ball of, of, of starter from Egypt was coming with them. They were leaving that all behind. So Christ is our Passover now. He's the Passover lamb, sacrificed for our sins, and freed us from the slavery of sin. And then now we have this new life that God has put us into. God has freed us from Egypt, so to speak, the world, our old life, and now we have a new life, freed from that. So with this new life, without the old leaven, 
don't let the old leaven be in, in your life. Don't bring any speck of the old life of sin. Because why? We're unleavened people now. This is what Paul is saying. We don't want any of the old leaven, the old sins mixed into our lives, mixed into our church body. So Paul brings this whole picture of Exodus 12 into what he's saying here. Then he says this in verse 8. Therefore, and that means since Christ is our Passover lamb, set us free to live this new life, we leave the old leaven, old sins, right? Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So here he is again, you know, let's keep the feast. Let's continue celebrate Christ in this new life. Not with the old leaven inside, an old leaven when he says malice and wickedness, is talking about hatred, wickedness. He's really talking about the sins, our old sinful nature. But no, let's celebrate, let's remember, let's continue to live with the unleavened bread, the bread without the old leaven, with, this, with sincerity and truth. He's talking about our new nature. He's talking about our new life. He's talking about living with, with sincerity, with with integrity with trueness with goodness with godliness so paul's like hey let's keep living in the new life of truth and goodness not evil and wickedness i was thinking about remember uh, during that time in exodus 12 in this passover celebration and also they would uh, the lord would instruct them more and more whenever they celebrate passover he told israel like in exodus 12 19 for seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses no leaven at all and in verse 15 exodus 12 he says on the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses to this day the orthodox jews you know what they do when they're coming up on uh, 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 passover sabbath they take a candle and they actually go around sort of in this routine, ritually search out the house and have the kids come in. We're going to look for all the leaven. Get it out of our house. Well, you know what? That's Paul's point here. That's what he's saying. Search out, clean out the old leaven for there's no place for it in this new unleavened church. That's what he's saying. Search it out. Clean out the old leaven, for there is no place for it in the new unleavened life, even. You know, last time I was in Japan, um, Pastor Tommy, who, who bakes that no-knead bread, yeah, and my wife will do that sometimes after, after she learned that. I remember last time I was in Japan, he was starting to make a whole new batch and to leave, leave it, set, you know, to let it rise, and then he went into the fridge and he, he took out this little container and took out the leaven, the yeast yeah, to put into the dough, mixed it up and then he was going to leave it to let it rise and he was telling me, he was showing me the container, he goes, Rick this is from Hokkaido, the northern island in Japan this is from the pastor who taught me how to do this bread, this is the starter from the bread that he makes and I have it now in Okinawa and he was all proud about it and all like, see, look what I got. I go, oh, that is so cool. Why don't you give me a little bit? I'll take it home. No, you selfish person. No, 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 no. But sometimes we do that, don't we? We hold on, right, to that little sin. We hold on to that little leaven. 
We're kind of even proud about, yeah, back in those days, it was like this. Or, or yeah, that <laughs> makes me a man if I act this, you know, that kind of thing. And we carry it over from our old life into our new life, right? We have that little leaven, that starter that we kind of take care of. And, and, and like, yeah, see, <laughs> it's mine, yeah, right? Paul's saying, look, none of that. Don't allow it. Don't tolerate it. Search out. Clean out the old leaven, for there's no place for it in the new unleavened church or even in our life. Well, let's go on to number four in our heading. Number four. Number four, restrain. Restrain. So we've seen clean out the leaven, number one, recognize. Number two, respond. Number three, reason. Number four, restrain. Restrain. We'll finish up the chapter here. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. So Paul's now mentioning, hey, you know when I wrote to you earlier this epistle, uh, which we don't have, we, we don't really have that in our, our Bible, it's lost or gone. But we know that he wrote something because, hey, earlier I wrote you guys. And in it I wrote you that you should not keep company. Now, the, the keep company means mixed together in original language. It really speaks of intimate fellowship there. So you're not to keep company, have intimate fellowship mixed together with sexually immoral people. He's saying like this man. They are like leaven yeah, to the unleavened way of life. Later, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Do not be deceived, but bad company ruins good morals, right? It's going to influence you. He's saying, look, look don't, don't allow this in the church. Don't allow it in your life. We can apply it. Verse 10, Yet I certainly did not mean with sexually immoral people of this world. Now that's a key phrase. Or with the covetous, or ex ex extortioners, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of this world. So I don't mean like, like not to, to have relationships with people in the world. I'm not saying that, because if that's the case, we've we, we got to leave this world completely. No. No, I'm not saying don't stop, you know, to stop your contact with unbelievers. No. Why? Because we are to be witnesses. We are to be lights. We are to bring people to Jesus Christ so they may be saved. Then verse 11. But now I have written to you not to keep company, not to mix, not to have this intimate fellowship with anyone named a brother. That's a professed believer. Someone who is habitually, an un, uh, who's unrepentant and they continue to live in what? The old leaven. Yeah? The old leaven. Who is, he goes on to say, in verse 11, sexually immoral or covetous, that's, that's being greedy, yeah? or an idolater, that's someone who doesn't put God first, they have other idols in their life, yeah? or a reveler, that means someone who's abusive, yeah? very abusive, or a drunkard, or an extortioner. We saw that in the other verse, that's a swindler. Yeah? Someone's always swindling, cheating, you know, ah, you know, doing underhand things. Not even to eat with such a person. Yeah? No fellowship. You remember back there to eat, break bread together? That was like a real intimate thing that you would do between two people. No, don't keep company. Don't be intimate with these guys. 
See, the idea of what, what Paul is saying is after step four, you put him out of the church, you are to restrain yourself from having fellowship with them. Because the whole purpose of, of, of putting them outside the church, not having fellowship, is so they would realize, oh, man, I did wrong. Oh, I've, I've broken my relationship with, with my family here at the church. And, oh, i got to repent. It's to wake them up, to get their attention. So Paul's like, hey, restrain yourself here. Could be, possibly, the Corinthians had things backwards. Maybe they were so proud, shunned unbelievers. Ah, you guys are, are sinners there. But then they accepted some unrepented believer in their church. No sense. Paul's clarifying things here. Then he says in verse 12, For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? In other words, what right do really I or any of us have in judging, you know, unbelievers of the world in this way? We're not disciplining them. Yeah. No, our, our, our thing is to, to reach out to them, save them from their sin. Uh, isn't it that we believers are to judge? Or I like this idea when he says, Do, not, do you not judge those who are inside? In other words, aren't we supposed to keep each other accountable yeah, to one another as believers? Then our last verse, Paul says, but those who are outside, God judges. That's God's job. God will take care of the unbelievers if they don't respond to his truth. But for the believers, what is their job? He says, therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. He's saying, stick Stick to step number four here. Stick to step number four. Refrain from yourself. Again, by having a greater concern to keep, keep, bring them back to the Lord. But even more so, he's saying after talking about the leaven, to have a great concern to keep the church body pure and unleavened. Someone said, ships don't sink because of the water around them. Ships sink because of the water that gets in them. I like that. So our last point this morning is this. Keep to God's discipline plan so to stop the corrupting influence coming from within. Yeah? Keep to God's discipline plan so to stop the corrupting influence coming from within. I read about this zookeeper who warned his friend that her pet raccoon will go through some glandular instinctive changes at about 24 months of age. It's where they off, often, he said, they attack their owners. He told her a 30-pound raccoon can equal a 100-pound dog in a, in a fight. She listened politely and said, it will be different for me. Bandit, bandit won't hurt me. He won't hurt me. Well, three months later, Bandit was released into the wild, and the woman underwent plastic surgery for facial lacerations when the adult raccoon attacked her for no apparent reason. Crazy. See, the danger was from inside her very own home that she allowed to come into her home. And that's the same with us. The dangers from within. That's what brings it down. That's what brings the church down. That's why Paul is so serious here. There's a lot of sins here. We're going to deal with more in the rest of this letter. But within the church, Paul's saying, look, you got to deal with it within because it's going to 
take the church down. It's already, right? We know from our studies from the beginning, it's dividing the church. There's contentions going on in the church. We've already seen it. And allowing even this is going to bring this church down. And you know what? In the same way with our lives, isn't it? Are you allowing an influence in your life? Well, let, let's back up. Are you allowing a sin maybe in your life? I mentioned that. But think about that. Even that one little sin, one little thing you allow, it's going to spread like leaven. right? Are you allowing maybe some influence? Yeah. That would influence you within, your heart, your mind. Yeah. Something that, that maybe a wrong friend, maybe a TV show that you, you, you really shouldn't watch. Maybe it's an Internet site yeah, that, oh, you come across and it sucks you in. Yeah. Maybe it's attitudes and comments and, and, and responses on that Facebook page. Or Instagram or Snapchat, yeah, of what things are being posted. That gets into you, and it gets inside you, and from there, it goes out. Maybe you think, well, it's different for me. I'm okay. Watch out. That's pride. And what comes before a fall? Pride, right? I can handle it, yet it's already affecting you when you're saying, I'm okay with it, right? Listen, be careful of, allow, of allowing that old leaven to stay there. Fleshly thoughts, maybe an old way of reacting to things. Maybe uh, that little anger, under breath complaining that you, maybe certain thoughts, yeah, that you play with and then, yeah, you know, bitterness, jealousy, yeah, those things. Covetousness. I mean, it could be things like, oh, I want to get that iPhone 10 now, you know, kind of, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't covet and lust there. I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> the thing is, if you allow it, it easily spreads and it will take you down. I'll close with this. At the center of this village stood this giant oak tree, more than 100 years old. When storms would, would, would roll through, other trees would be blown down, but not this mighty, sturdy oak it defied storms. But one day a storm came, and it wasn't that severe, and this great oak tree fell. Everyone was surprised in this village. When they examined it, they found that there was evidence of many years ago, a little worm had bored its way into the very heart of the tree there. And through that, it slowly spread and weakened the tree. It took years, but it was what finally took down that tree. I'm convinced, you guys, as we've been studying here in 1 Corinthians through all these weeks and months, you know what? God is working on us to go deeper. God wants to, wants to, to touch and, and, and expose things in our heart way deep. I mean, I look out here, you, you guys are fine Christian people, you know, upstanding yeah. But you know what? God knows what's inside. And with these things we've been studying, even today, there's still some leaven in there. And like the Orthodox Jews do today, you've got to grab the candle and go start searching out. Listen to what he's saying. Weed out that little sin. God wants to make us like him, right? 
be holy as I am holy. He wants to make us more godly. He wants to rid those things out because it's dangerous for us to allow it to stay, to tolerate it. Because no matter how strong you think you are, eventually it will take you down. So this week, search deep. Don't just let things slide down. But do what Paul said here. Clean out the leaven. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we humble ourselves before you. God, I want to stop the pride that says, I'm okay. Ah, I'm, I'm doing fine. I can handle. Lord, let us humble ourselves and be fearful that as the Corinthian church, no matter how good they were, the Thyatira church, no matter how good they were, and so many others who seemed so strong in the Lord still eventually fell because sin spread out. Lord, I don't want to say I'm all right, but I, Lord, I want to search deeper. Show us, Lord, the sin, the fleshly things that we have allowed to fester. Maybe we've taken care of the big things, but we have allowed the little things. No more excuses. No more tolerating it. Help me, God, to recognize and deal with it, to respond in the way you want, to discipline, Lord, ourselves, to rid ourselves of things that shouldn't be there in our hearts and in our minds, to say no to our flesh and make the choice to be slaves of righteousness, not unrighteousness, to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, to separate what needs to be separated out of our life. So God, forgive us and renew us this day, even as we leave this place. In Jesus' name.